0: Well, hey there, welcome to the Strong and Sculpted podcast, the podcast by me, Kim Constable, also known as The Sculpted Vegan, about all things strong and of course, all things sculpted. So what have we got for you this week? Well, you are in for a real treat because we have compiled some of the best clips from the 40 episodes that we have now released of the Strong and Sculpted podcast, For your enjoyment, you are very welcome. And in fact, I can't even claim any kudos or what's the word I'm looking for? I can't claim any. I th- can't think of the bloody words, but anyway, this is not my idea. That's what I'm trying to say. This is actually the idea of my creative director, Mark, who's listening to this right now because he edits the podcast. Hi, Mark. Great idea. And in fact, I was actually chatting to uh, Jamie, who is my director of operations earlier, and she was saying, you know, I'm saying that I'm going away this weekend. I've actually been really, really um, burned out. Many of you will know that my daughter, Maya, has been in hospital with uh, appendicitis. Um, she's home now, but she had a really, really, Really bad burst appendix, needed two operations, had to get a drain fitted. And and I've, um, you know, I was lying and sleeping on a chair beside her hospital bed for 12 days straight, and then just haven't really been able to mentally relax. My mom always used to say that you're only as happy as your sickest child. And it's so true. So, you know, I guess I've been managing like our biggest ever launch in the business, which was the Butt Camp. It was the, the biggest program in terms of the most successful program we have ever launched ever. We have sold, I think, about 4,000. 500 programs in just over four weeks, right? That's it. Like it's an insane amount of programs, but of course it is an insanely good program. But um, I was managing the launch of the butt camp from Maya's hospital bed and well from her my chair beside her hospital bed and um, all the while you know trying to look after her making sure she was okay and having you know the mental stress and I think just to be honest from you know COVID-19 hit us and we from thinking that we the business was going to go under and I was going to lose the business to literally pulling two of our most successful launches ever out of the bag in fact our two most successful launches have been the Jailhouse Shred and the Butt Camp the eight week Butt Camp and you know from going it's the highs and lows and the highs and lows of the business since March and everybody's been the same with, you know, this year has been such a weird year, but definitely it has been a lot of pressure for me and for the team. And to to be honest, I'm just feeling extremely burnt out. So that with the pressure of Maya being in a hospital has really just meant that I need a few days away. And you're like, where's she going? That's what she's talking about. My my point is I've decided to take a few days away with my family this weekend. We're going away for five days just to be beside the ocean, a coastal town here in Northern Ireland called Portrush. My stepdad lives there with his beautiful wife, Naomi, and we're going to go and... And um, spend some time with them. And it's going to be absolutely fabulous. And what has this even got to do with the podcast? Well, the reason why I'm telling you is because, you know, my creative director, Mark, as intelligent and wonderful as he is, um, he basically always always forward thinking, thought, you know what? She's not going to have a lot of time to record a podcast next week. She's going to be away how can I help her out? He's always thinking of me, which is why I love him so much. So he said, why don't we go through the 40 episodes and pull out some of the best bits of the different podcasts? And I was like, what an epic idea. Simply because, you know, people write to me every single week with their reviews of the podcast and they just write to me on Instagram and say, this bit changed my life. This bit changed my life. Oh my God, this is insane. Like when you said this, I had such an aha moment. And of course then, unless you go back and listen to the podcast again, which I know many of you do actually, Which is really flattering, you know. You write to me and say you listen to them like two or three or four times, um, just to really integrate the material. But unless you do that, sometimes you know you forget, you know, your best bits or your favorite bits. So we decided to um, pull together some of the best bits of the uh, podcasts—not all forty podcasts, obviously—just you know the best podcasts and um, and and put them into one podcast uh, for your enjoyment. So kind of like little bites of Kim, Um, and so that's what you've got today in the podcast. So don't. Don't forget, um, if you enjoyed this episode, um, I would love to know, is this something you would like us to do again in future? Definitely leave me a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Send me a screenshot on Instagram and you know the drill by now. You could be in with the chance of winning one of our programs, even the 18-month Sculpt and Shred program which is worth $1,500. You could win that program or any other program, the Jailhouse Shred or the Butt Camp or the 12-week Shred, the four-week Shred, the one-week Shred. Yes, we have many Shred programs, the How to Pose program, our meal plans, whatever you want. We have a full suite of programs on our website. If you just go there and look, thesculptedvegan.com, you can look through them all. You can perve all over them. You can decide which one you are going to win whenever you leave me the world's best review. And we don't just choose from any of the reviews, by the way. It's not like potluck review will win. It's whoever wrote the best, the most thoughtful, the most wonderful review wins the program. So make sure that you write a good review, a lovely thoughtful review, and you could be with the chance of winning one of our Sculpted Vegan programs. So I'm going to leave you with this episode and I will talk to you again at the end. This is what happens whenever you, if you're listening to this, maybe you, maybe someone you know, maybe those other people. This is what happens when many people commit to starting something and then they don't do it. The main reason they don't do it is that they set the bar too high. They set it too high. They don't say, I'm going to do a 15-minute yoga practice in the morning, they they say, I'm going to get up in the morning at 5am and I'm going to go for a run and then I'm going to, you know, and then, I, and then I'm going to go to the gym for an hour and then I'm going to cook myself a delicious meal and then I'm going to drink a green smoothie. You know, it's like they don't just make one change or one small change and commit to like a five minute stretching practice in the morning. They like set themselves the goal that they're going to juice, they're going to, you know, and they buy all this stuff from making green juices and they're going to like, you know, it's literally like they're going to go from being a couch potato to an Olympic athlete overnight. Okay. And so of course, then whenever you wake up in the morning and you think that you have to trail yourself out of bed, if you're not a runner, right, you haven't built the discipline of running, you're not going to get up at 5am in the dark whenever it's raining, if it's the middle of winter and run for an hour. And if you do, the whole experience will be so unpleasant that you will not want to do it again. Okay. And so you the next morning, your alarm will go off and you'll be like, no, I don't want to repeat that. It was horrendous. Whereas if you set yourself a goal of a five minute walk in the morning, it's not going to be so bad. You're going to wake up in the morning, you're going to go, yeah. Okay. Well, that wasn't too bad. Five, that five minute walk was okay, or you know, wasn't. I didn't enjoy getting out of bed, but like it wasn't so bad that I'm dreading it. Or you know, if you set yourself like a, a goal of doing a fifteen minute yoga stretching session in the morning, you know, a fifteen minute class online, it's you know, you're you're not like being asked to leap out of bed and go straight into yoga power poses. It it makes it so much easier, and you're much more likely to do it if you can't trust your own inner word, you have nothing, nothing. If you can't trust yourself when you say you're going to do something, if you can't trust that you're actually going to show up and do it, you have nothing you if it, you know you need to be the kind of person who shows up for yourself and and i have built that over the years using the steps that i have talked about here of course there's many 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 other things that have helped me to build up this this practice of believing my inner word but really the first step is just starting and starting small with one thing to build up the discipline and the consistency required to um to make it easy for you to start. This is the first reason that people don't get the results that they think that they should be getting in the gym, is because they 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 don't realize that they're as strong as they are, and they don't truly push themselves. They allow themselves to be limited by their beliefs. So you have a hypothesis in your mind of how strong you are, okay? And that hypothesis, unless you've trained for a long time in the gym and had a trainer and really pushed yourself, is not based on data. It's based on a hypothesis. Hypothesis is not data. It's just, you know, something that you throw out there. It's just you like testing. So you may like throw 300 pounds on and then you move the leg press and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that was hard. That was hard. So that's how strong I am. OK, so because it was hard and you managed to do 10 reps, you, d- you don't say, well, what would happen if I threw another 40, 40 pounds on here? Let's have a go and see. What happened if I threw another 100 pounds? pounds on here. Let's have a go and see. You know, nobody puts an extra hundred pounds on and, and, and tests it to see, can I move the damn machine? And the reason why this happens is because we don't want to fail. Okay. We have this stupid, crazy notion that failure is bad. And we're taught this in school. So then whenever we go into the gym, where the only way you can grow is to fail people, fail you know, you have to fail in order to grow. It's the only way you can fail. Well, it's not the only place, actually. I mean, you you know, everywhere in life, failure is just data. So, you, you know, you fail and you go, oh, wow, I failed. That's great. Now I know where I, yeah, I need to improve on. So in the gym, you have to fail in order to grow. You have to fail. You have to. You can't do it any other way. But we're afraid of failure. We don't want to stick 400 pounds on the leg press machine and risk failure. We would much rather have the success of leg pressing the 10 reps that the program says that we should be pressing. So it's like being in school again. Your teacher says, in order to pass this, you must get 60%. The program says, in order to complete this exercise, you must do 8 to 10 reps. So your goal is to do 8 to 10 reps and to do them successfully. Nobody actually wants to stick another 100 kilos or 100 pounds on the bar and risk failing. Oh my God, why would you do that? Why would you risk failure whenever you can have success? But unfortunately, success in the gym comes at the expense of failure, which means that your muscles will not
1: grow. I always say all right your knowledge as a, a coach a trainer a lifter you know a, a third of it is going to come from lifting yourself like training yourself you learn so much from exper- but you got to be experimenting mm-hmm. you see those trainers in the commercial gyms that are stuck in the 90s they trained they learned for a year and then repeated that year 20 yeah, times forever. 30 times they're not learning If you're always experimenting, you're always learning, trying new things, okay? Another third of your knowledge comes from helping other people, lifting partners, personal training clients, being a coach, strength coach. You learn so much working with other people, you realize we're all different, we're all unique. And then another third, the remaining third comes from reading. You've never learned some, like, so much I learned from reading research and things.
0: People do ask me all the time, why do you do slow, steady cardio, okay? Here's why. So slow, steady cardio, also called low intensity, slow, steady, low intensity, slow, steady. I am fucking like I am from this Spana. Um, so low intensity, steady state cardio, also known as less. OK, is the best in my professional opinion, the best type of cardio for burning fat. Here's why. Whenever you um, start performing cardio, right, whenever you get on, say, the Stairmaster or you start walking uphill on an incline, on the um on a treadmill your body recognizes that you are starting to move and it recognizes activity so if i get on my stairmaster in the morning i put it on level 7 so i get on the stairmaster at level 7 and i start to climb so after about you know a couple of minutes my body goes oh okay registers activity so there's a, a you know requirement here for you know more you know on the requirement or there's a pressure on the cardiovascular system there's a pressure on the muscles there's an energetic requirement you know from the le- the muscles in the legs so your body primes and gears up for the effort because it doesn't know what the effort is that's going to come it just recognizes that there's a a change in the homeostatic norm you know 10 minutes ago you were lying in bed or drinking coffee now you're on your stairmaster your body registers the change so your body primes for whatever's coming and it starts to use muscle glycogen to allow you to climb or allow you to walk so you are walking uphill, say, let's say you're walking uphill on a Stairmaster, right? So there's a, an energetic requirement on the muscles of your legs, on all of the muscles of your legs, some of the muscles of your back, you know, not really your arms or whatever, unless you're swinging your arms like crazy, but there's an energetic requirement. So your body starts to burn muscle glycogen. After about 10 minutes, your body goes, okay, hang on a wee second here. There's not enough of an effort on the body here for us to use muscle glycogen, right? Your body wants to conserve muscle glycogen at all costs because you are a fight or flight animal. So what this means is years ago, if you were, you know, fighting for survival and we were berry pickers and we were, you know, making, you know, like houses out of you know trees and leaves and wood and all that kind of stuff, your body wanted to preserve your muscle glycogen because your muscle glycogen is required for fight or flight. So let's say you um, let's say you encountered a tiger, right? So you're wandering through the jungle and you're holding your child by the hand. And the next thing you hear this rustle, and you look over and there's a tiger, right? Which is, you know, like say 50 feet away from you. Well, you know, you're not going to fight the tiger because you're never going to win. So you're going to have to run for your life, right? That's fight or flight. So your body triggers your fight or flight mechanism. Your body starts to flood your system with adrenaline. That adrenaline um, pumps into your muscles, pumps into your body, gives you like superhuman strength, and you start to run like a bitch, right? Dragging your child along behind you, or carrying them, preferably. So that is um, that's when your body requires muscle glycogen. So your body always wants to preserve your muscle glycogen in case you need to like lift a car off a child. You know, for those those periods of um, of survival, basically. Your body's always thinking of of survival. It's always thinking in terms of extremes of survival. So whenever you are walking uphill on the treadmill and you are um, burning muscle glycogen, after about 10 minutes, your body recognizes the demands on your muscles are not great enough for you to Continue to burn muscle glycogen. Your body says, hang on a wee second here. We want to conserve this muscle glycogen. We recognize that now after about 10 minutes, there's a, you know, a homeostatic norm to this pace. The pace isn't increasing or decreasing. You know, we're not like sprinting and then stopping. We're not like stopping to lift weights or, you know, to do some kind of you know interval training. It's a very steady, consistent pace. So your body then feels safe to switch over. From burning muscle glycogen to burning body fat. So your body has two energy sources, right? The first one is muscle glycogen. The second one is body fat. So if it will always burn muscle glycogen first, but if the demands on your body are not great enough, it will switch over to burning um, body fat. So after about 10 minutes, your body will switch from burning muscle glycogen to burning body fat. And as long as you keep the pace consistent in your cardio for the next 40, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes, your body will continue to burn body fat as energy. It will not use any more muscle glycogen as energy. So you're basically burning body fat for the entire rest of the 50 minutes of your cardio session. There's a lot of people who are saying, I know, I know why we're not supposed to take, you know, measure ourselves or weigh ourselves. You know, as I always say, stay off the sad step. Stay off. It. don't, don't get on it. See the sad step, aka the scale. See the sad step? Get, put it away, put it away. Just don't even take it out. And, and of course, people are like, I promise I won't weigh myself. And then they're sneaking off and they're like, maybe I'll just step on it just, just for a little bit, but I won't pay any attention to it. I'll just step on it just to see. And the side, sad step can either make you feel very happy or very suicidal, depending on what it says. So, but anyway, it's not really an accurate representation all the time of progress. You have the the power to change your reality. You have the power to change your reality. You know, there's a, a really great quote that I, I love, which says Freedom lies in the capacity to pause between stimulus and response. Freedom lies in the capacity to pause between stimulus and response so stimulus coming in means you know the economy is is um is in a depression or um you know we're, we're on lockdown or you can't leave your house or you know there's a coronavirus or whatever some kind of stimulus comes in information normally information comes in and then we we have a um a response in our body usually it's a fear response if it's a lack of data but if you can pause if that I- information comes in and you can force your body to pause which usually comes from anchoring yourself in the present moment, then you can choose how to respond. You may still feel fear, but you, you can choose to not indulge the fear and suffer. You can choose to breathe, relax, distract your mind, change your state, think about something else and come back to it another time. Or even you can just take a nano pause. You can take a two minute or a five minute or a two second or a five second or a 10 second pause, and then you can react. But if you don't have that pause, then you're always going to be a reactive human being instead of a proactive human being. Proactive people get in, get data. Data comes in, information comes in. Proactive people stop, pause, evaluate, and then respond. Reactive people just respond without thinking, like a dog. You know, you, you, you pull out a biscuit and the dog goes, and the dog wants a biscuit, like the dog can't think of anything else. The dog can't go, hmm, let me think. Do I really need this biscuit right now? Will this biscuit ruin my diet? Will this biscuit ruin my appetite? Will I still eat my dinner? No, dogs do not have that ability. Dog goes, "Biscuit, give me biscuit." Wants to salivate. "You know, dog they don't have any power of reasoning and thought, but human beings do, but we act like we don't." But the more you realize you do, the more you realize that you have the power to change your reality. You have the power to choose how you react to every single situation everything changes. You may not become like some kind of spiritual guru. You may still react in fear. That's okay. We're all human. That's what we do. But even knowing and understanding that you have the power to change it is transformative because then you know that if you don't choose it, that you're doing it mindfully once you have this information and you realize you have the power it's very hard to go back because then you can be like oh yeah i'm like indulging this at the minute i'm like choosing choosing to indulge this i'm choosing to suffer i'm choosing this fear i'm choosing to not recognize it in this moment standing here i'm totally fine and you know and, and then it just becomes about choices at the end of the day they'll say to me you know, Kim, I really want to do this and and want to the Q and A's and they'll and so this. I really want to lose weight. I just, I really want to get some of this body fat off and whatever. And I'm like, okay. So I give them the specific plan. I go, do this, do this. Cardio X amount of times a week, increase it by five minutes, you know, set your end date, give them five minutes, decrease your calories. Like I give them very specific advice. And then maybe four weeks I'll be doing a live again. And then they come back to me and they're like, Kim, I really want to lose weight. Same person. And I go, okay, did you do what I told you to do last time? No okay, don't fucking come and ask me for advice anymore. <laughs> you know, if you're going to be an asshole and you're not going to do it, I'm not going to give you any more advice. And so then but quite often what I say to them is in a very gentle, loving way is you maybe just don't want it enough. You know, you, you know, and I think there's a difference. Sometimes people want to want it in their head or they think they should want it.
2: Yeah. Which is totally fine, but don't fool yourself or like annoy Kim or anybody else. <laughs> like if, if you don't want it bad enough, that's fine. Like, but, don't be asking everybody for their advice. Like that's, I think that's one of the things I've, I've made peace with. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut across yet. No, it's good. Go for it. No, I wanted your advice on it. You know, like one of the things I've made peace with over the last few years, I'm like, people don't, my expectation, unless you're, you know this from working with people, unless you've paid me to work with you and help you get into shape, I'm going to let you do what you want. I'm going to offer the advice, but I'm not going to hold you accountable to it. I'm like, if you don't want it, that's fine. And I'm okay with that, you know? And it, it, it's a different scenario where people that a paid of a program. you're like, no, my job is to keep you accountable. We need to get you on track. But for everybody else, I'm like, if you don't want it bad enough, that's fine. I'm
0: yeah, like, but you can't want I, it more for your client than they want it for themselves. I always say that to people. I'm like, I can't want this for you more than you want this for yourself. I'm not here to beat you into getting, achieving your goals. I'm here to to set it. And then as you fall off, I'm here to be your your yardstick to get you back on track again. I'm not here to... to to be like going behind you with a stick, beating you into getting, you know, doing what you're supposed to do. And if you're looking for that, you're never going to be successful.
2: No, well, it's that it's the intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Like that's why setting a why and why you're doing it. That that girl about the guy she fancied, I'm like, right, she, she doesn't have a weight loss issue. She has a, I want to feel sexy and confident issue. I'm like, they're two different things. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is just the external version of what you want. You're looking for this internal feeling which is confidence and feeling sexy in a room, et cetera. I'm like, that's different. All we're doing is trying to map your body and your body shape to what you want to feel like on the inside. I'm like, once you do that, that's way easier because now you have an intrinsic why and motivation to why you're doing it because nobody can give you that. You have to, you can, You might have a coach that can probe you with this, but anybody can ask themselves. Like I've done that at times where I'm like, oh, I'd love to, how many times have you been like, mm, I wouldn't mind being in photo shoot condition again. You know, <laughs> a little bit leaner. And then you're like, nah. There's a lot of birthdays coming up in this. Yeah, you're like, oh, wine. <laughs> oh, beer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> For beer yeah. you're like, cheesecake. And you're OK with that. You're like, yeah, these foods are awesome. Like cheesecake and some beer. I'm like, I'm all over that. So I'm like, all right, I don't really want to be 5% body fat. I'm like, I'd rather have the beer and cake right now. But totally. there's other times when you want to be the 5% body fat. Like, yeah, And then you're focused towards your goals. And that's fine. And, and understanding that life isn't this linear, straight upwards path of always being better. Sometimes you're like, right, I'm not going to focus on my fitness. Now I'm going to focus on business. I'm not going to focus on business. Now I'm going to focus on family. And you're doing like a minimum effective dose in your training. You're just going Mm -hmm. in, keeping things ticking over because you have other priorities. That's fine. Like be, Mm -hmm. be be with that, make peace with that and ask yourself like you made the best point ever like if you don't want it bad enough that's totally fine right but at least be honest with yourself like i aim to
0: eat at least five times a day and whenever you aim to eat at least five times a day by the time you're hungry again it's time for another meal See this whole eating three times a day thing, this whole like eating breakfast, lunch and dinner. I do not know where this came from. Actually, I do know where it came from. Do you want to know where eating breakfast, lunch and dinner came from? Human beings were not designed to eat breakfast, lunch and dinner. Human beings were designed to be snackers. We are berry pickers. We're foragers. Our our digestive systems and our bodies are set up to be foragers, which means we are designed to eat little and often. So whenever I... Plan my food. I never look at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, I was telling you where it came from. So, breakfast, lunch, and dinner came from um, the Industrial Revolution. It came from whenever kids started being sent to school and it came from whenever people started being factory workers and they realized that they had to give them breaks. So, people realized they had to eat breakfast in the morning before they went out to work in the factories. Then they got a mid morning break, you know, for a cup of coffee or whatever. Then, lunchtime was a longer break. So, that's when lunch had to be eaten. You couldn't just stop and eat lunch at any time during your work. Lunch had to be eaten at a certain time and then dinner dinner was at a certain time because the work finished. So the work finished and then dinner was later in the evening. So that's where human beings evolved into a breakfast, lunch and dinner thing. It's not that that's the way our bodies are designed. It's that that's the way we evolved. So Women get stuck in, and men too, get stuck in this breakfast, lunch, and dinner mentality. And they they don't, first of all, the, the main problem is they're not tracking their food. So they're just on a generic goal of losing weight or losing body fat. And they're not actually, you know, working. They haven't created a plan to work towards that goal. And so therefore, they're just guessing when they're eating. And the guessing is causing guilt. They're not tracking. But then secondly, they're trying to stick to this, you know, eating less at meals, which is causing them to feel hungry permanently, which is causing them to feel deprived, which is causing them to snack. And then thirdly, they're not they're not eating often enough. They're getting stuck in the breakfast, lunch and dinner mentality. And so they're they're hungry in between meals and they want to have healthy snacks, but they're not sure what healthy even means and they're not sure what they should be eating and they're not even sure how many calories are in their food.
1: 6
0: times Mr. Olympia. He had 15 major contest wins in his career, but he also won the Mr. Olympia title, which if you're not familiar with the Olympia is the biggest bodybuilding show in the world. And he won the title six times in a row. Doreen, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today specifically is because I am um, the the training that I teach in all of my programs, and we have a full suite of training programs, shred programs, building programs, but the um, the training that we teach in all of the strength training is high intensity training taught to me by my trainer, Mark Getty who learned it from you, uh, not directly from you, but from you indirectly uh, through studying you. But um, you started, you were an early proponent of the shorter sessions, but with higher intensity. So like, you know, what was your training like whenever you were, you know, really training hard as a professional?
1: The principles are there. I mean, the principle is that you're going to train with a uh, degree of intensity uh, to muscular failure and something that your body's not used to, basically. So it's going to adapt to that level of stress. Um, And that level of stress has to be balanced then with um, enough time to recover from the stress. Because no recovery, there's no progress. So you need stimulus, you need recovery time, and then you need overcompensation time. So that's the basic uh, idea behind it. And I have no doubt if it's performed correctly, then it's the most efficient way to build muscle in the shortest period of time.
0: There's a, let me tell you something now. There's a whole movement of women that I believe, or I would like to believe that I am leading into, you know, like I, I did a free masterclass the other day and I said to the guys, I was like, "Like, listen, stop training like a girl. I was like, stop it. Like, this is all women on this masterclass. Like, stop training like a girl, you know? like.
1: Yeah, but I, I you know, I trained a few ladies and in my experience, I don't know, maybe If you find
0: the right one, they'll... Tra- they'll
1: you know, they, they, they're they, coming to train with Dorian Yates so they, they must come with something in mind course. and know what to expect. But... Uh, they tend to whimper and cry and make excuses a lot less than the guys do.
0: It's actually not true. If you take supplements, you're not going to get extra special results. Supplements do help to aid with recovery. Supplements help to um, aid digestion. And many times they help to grow more muscle. They help your body to repair and recover. So they can help your body To recover better to repair more muscle or to build more muscle faster and they can obviously help with different health and issues but supplements in and of themselves will not really make a massive difference to your overall journey i am a big believer in supplements and i have always taken them but there are many many athletes who do not take supplements and still get absolutely exceptional results so it's something that is very hard to measure. It's I, I can't say to you, if you take this, this will happen. There have been a lot of scientific studies done over the years into creatine and glutamine and all those different things. And so and those studies are available on the internet. If you just go looking for them, you'll find them. And, um, and so the supplements that I've chosen to include in this program are generally ones that are backed extensively by research. And of course, there are many, many, many supplements on the market and many supplements claiming to do all kinds of wonderful things but truly, at the end of the day, you know, like anything, you can overwhelm yourself with information. And I have found that the simpler you keep things, the better. So, whenever we first launched the Sculpted Vegan Program, we had a this was uh, two years ago. We had a very extensive and very long list of supplements that um, you could choose from. So you, it wasn't to take all of them, but we had them broken down into, you know, because health is so important to me. We had them broken down into. General health, and we had them broken down into, you know, if you're stressed, or if you can't sleep, or if you're trying to lose weight, or trying to gain weight, or trying, you know, all these different things, or have digestive issue issues. We had the supplements broken down very comprehensively into different um, categories, but we, what we were finding was that it was just overwhelming the members. They were like, "Oh my God, there's so much information here. Really, not sure what I should be adding or what I should be taking." And so I thought, you know, whenever you're, you're just starting out taking supplements, and I know many of you are seasoned supplement takers, which is fine, or you have your own favorite ones that support your health and fitness, then that's, and that's perfect. But whenever you're just starting out in the world of supplements, I thought I would reduce the list right down. So you always want to think health first more than anything else. You know, I don't ever want anyone to jump into fat burning supplements or jumping into um, muscle building supplements or whatever before they look at their general health. General health supplements are the most important ones to take straight off. I never sacrifice my health for how I look. If I had to make a choice to sacrifice my health to stand up on stage and look a certain way, I just wouldn't do it. I hear so many people say, you know, about bikini competitors and, oh, my friend did a bikini competition and she, you know, suffered from an eating disorder afterwards and she was so unhealthy and her hair started to fall out and her nails were breaking. And I'm like, seriously? Like, why, why would you ever put yourself through that? Like, what? Like it, why would that ever be worth it? I think the difference between kind of most people, especially young bikini competitors, maybe in their 20s and the women who join this program is usually the women in this program, you know, put your hand up if you're kind of over 40, 30 or 35, most of us are over the age of 40 or 50 or in their 60s. And so I think that you know we were past the stage where we know that we're not invincible. We're past the stage where we would just pump a lot of crap into our bodies in order to look good. And we kind of understand that you know your health is your wealth, and we're here to build something stronger in the long term. And I began to realize that it is possible to get really, really, really good results even if you don't have equipment. And a little light bulb went off in my head and I was like, oh, ding, 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 ding. ding!" And I was like, right, let's go into this a wee bit further. So then I was like, so I realized that what prisoners do is they use um, calisthenics, okay? Calisthenics is a type of bodyweight exercise. It actually has a Greek origin, which means strength and grace. That's what, so cali means strength and thenics means grace. So strength and grace, that's where it comes from. Calisthenics is basically what, um, ninja warrior people do parkour people do so it's it's all um it's using your body it's using functional strength and fitness using your body to increase your functional strength and fitness and you can change the difficulty of the exercises depending on how you put your body and so i realized there was something in this this was similar to what I was doing in the gym, but yet it was at home with no equipment. Because in, in the gym, what we do whenever we are increasing our, our, our muscle mass is we start to increase intensity. So you start off light as a warm up, then you make you lift up more weight, right? And you get make it a little more difficult. In your third set, it's more difficult. Again, and in your fourth set, you reach total muscular failure. Total muscular failure is where the muscle grows. So you're basically pushing the muscle as hard as you possibly can. And I realized that calisthenics was very, very, very similar. Calisthenics used the sim- similar principle of failure, except that rather than failing by increasing the intensity, which you totally could do, by the way, so but you didn't increase it in one set, as in like you started off in a simple press-up with your knees on the floor and then you went to you know, um, a slightly harder position and then into a full press-up, you start at the highest level of intensity that you can manage depending on your level, whether it's beginning or, beginner, intermediate, or an advanced. Advanced, and you perform as many. Reps of the exercise that you can as you can before then you drop back in intensity. So, for example, you would maybe start a full press up with your knees up if you're able to do a full press up. So, you know, knees up, just your toes on your hands on the floor. Say there was you were supposed to do 10 reps of that. You could either perform the full 10 reps and then, you know, maybe on your next round, you would have to drop back in intensity. Or if you could only perform five press ups, full press ups, you would do five, then you would drop your knees to the floor and you would perform the final five with your knees on the floor. So, so it was it was really easy to um to keep the intensity high but then also you could increase the intensity as you move through the exercises another example is a press up your basic press up would be you have your knees on the floor in a box position you would move your knees back so your bed, you know, for the second position so your your body was slightly longer and straighter. Um, then you could bring your feet up off the floor behind you, crossing the ankles. That makes it harder again. The next press-up position, which is the hardest, is um, full press-up position, hands wide. Hands wide is harder. If you want to make the press-up hard, uh, sorry, hands wide is easier. Hands wider than shoulder distance. If you want to make the press-up harder, you bring the hands closer in underneath the shoulders. That makes it harder. Then from there, you can progress to one-arm press-up. So you can um, widen your legs super wide to give your body more balance. So rather than your hands um, balancing your body, your legs become the balance and you lift one arm up and you put one arm on the floor and you perform one handed press ups and then you do one handed on the other side. Then a progression from a one handed press up is up into, you know, like a handstand push up. So there's, there's so many different ways you can progress. You can do handstand push ups, you know, with your knees on a chair. You can do them actually just on the floor in a dog head down position. Then you go up to knees on a chair. Then you can go up to feet on a bench in a pike position, then you can do handstand press up against the wall, back to the wall, then you can make it harder, handstand press up with your belly to the wall, then the full handstand press up would be in the middle of the room. Then an even harder one would be a handstand press up with one arm. Can you imagine doing a handstand press up in the middle of the room with one arm? No, me neither. But you know, my point is you can make it progressively harder and harder and harder and harder. And there really is no limit as to how hard you can make it. But ownership is hard, you know, but a lot of people, we don't want to really, truly look at where we are and and how we came to be here. But it's the first step to transformation. Is, you cannot transform it's without it. It is
1: the only way. And it is the only way. You have to stop the blame. Always remember, when you point one finger at somebody else, you're pointing three back at yourself. You need, and yes, people have hurt you. Yes, people mock you. Yes, people judge you. But now own it and let's move on. Because, you know... We've only one life, and I remember reading a thing that we've 900 months to live. Probably 300 months of those are spent sleeping. A lot of us use about 300 of them already. What are you really going to do? Are you going to waste the last 300? I'm certainly not. And I just think that you have to just give yourself the right to live your best life.
0: They were saying, "I'm so excited to be here." You know, my here's my goals. My goal is to, you know, get abs or reduce this, and my goal is to get rid of my cellulite. So it was a it was a problem for women. It was a women that it was a problem that that women were suffering from, and they were coming to me before they were purchasing the program, and they were saying, "I have really really bad cellulite. Will the program help with this?" And so I knew that this was a problem that women suffered from, but I also knew that I had managed to combat this problem and i had managed to you know for the to get rid of the problem so i but i i didn't know how or why i had got rid of the problem yes i knew that i had reduced body fat but surely cellulite wasn't just body fat because if cellulite was just body fat then why was there a billion dollar industry selling us creams and lotions and potions to get rid of something that could just be gotten rid of with diet and exercise for free that is when I found out the truth. The truth is that cellulite isn't real. It was invented. Now, many of you have heard me talk about this before, because it is something that I'm quite passionate about. Because after I found out the truth, I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Like it really, I couldn't believe it when I found it out. So I, so, so, let me just break this down a little bit for you, okay? And just, just tell you where cellulite came from. So cellulite was invented, right, by Vogue magazine in 1968. And it has since spawned a billion dollar industry of cellulite treatments, products, cures, fascia blasters, liposuction, like you name it, it has spawned a cure. But the crazy thing is that it doesn't actually exist. Because there is such a thing, right, as Subcutaneous fat and fibrous tissue beneath your skin. And a lot of people will say to me, well, hang on, Kim, if it doesn't exist, why the fuck can I see it right now? I'm looking in the bloody mirror right now and I can see my cellulite. So if it doesn't exist, how come I can see it? So, right, just let me explain what it is. Subcutaneous fat and fibrous tissue exists beneath your skin. That is real, okay? But that is what you can see in the mirror. So here's the thing, right? Half a century ago, no one had even heard. Of cellulite, right? Let alone identify it as a problem to be getting rid of. Today, we spend millions, if not billions on anti-cellulite treatments, despite the glaring lack of evidence that any of them work. So let's just think about this for a second, okay? So my mom's um, treatment or my mum's cream, right? The Christian Dewar cream that she spent money on. Did her cellulite actually go away from using it? No not one iota, and see the whole, oh, 30%, you know, less reduction, 50% reduction, 75%, you know, reduces the appearance of cellulite, appearance here, right, by like 50, 60, 70%, whatever it claims. Well, like, what, what does that actually even mean? It reduces the appearance of cellulite. Surely these creams, if you're spending 50 quid a cream and you have to go through one like every week to two weeks, surely they should actually get rid of the damn thing, right? No, because you cannot treat a condition that does not exist. If you're the kind of person who is constantly making plans, constantly saying you're going to do something and then not following through, that literally eats away at your insides. It not only eats away at you emotionally, but eats away at you physically too. It does terrible things to the insides of your body. Whereas if you're the kind of person who you know when you make a plan for yourself or with others that will show up, that has a completely different feeling that affects you in every single way. Physically, physiologically, emotionally, in thought, it affects you on every single realm. But that does take time to build. It's something that if you don't have now, you don't need to despair. You just never learned it as a child and you're not a bad person for not having it. It just means that you simply never learned to show up for yourself in that way. But it's not too late. It doesn't matter if you're listening to this and you're 20 or you're 30 or you're 40 or 50. It doesn't matter if you're 90. If you want to build that for yourself, you can. And all you need to do is, is, is follow the steps that I've just laid out for you, which I'll recap very quickly again. So number one, set a goal. Set a very specific, very measurable goal. And it could be I want to look a certain way, I want to have six-pack abs, I want to have a big high type booty, I want to weigh 140 pounds, whatever it is for you, a very specific goal. Then once you've set yourself that goal, you have to set a persistency to do it, to do the steps necessary to follow through, and you have to have a self-imposed consequence if you don't do it. And it has to be something big enough that you would miss if you didn't, if you didn't have it in your life and then you have to make the commitment to actually follow through with the consequence. First of all, follow through with the persistency and then follow through with the consequence and just know that there's no downside. If you, not that there's no downsides or right? there's no, there's no one going to punish you or beat you if you don't do it. The only thing that you will lose is your inner word and your belief in yourself. But let me tell you, that is worth Everything in this world truly when you believe that what other people think of you and what other people say to you and what other people do to you really doesn't matter that the only thing you have is yourself your self-belief and your self-worth everything changes and that's when that's how you can be successful when I was younger I used to you know lie continually. I would have, you know, I, I I would have. I was gonna say I used to steal. I didn't steal, as in like I wasn't like a sh- shoplifter or I, you know, a thief or whatever. But I se- certainly stole value from people. Like I I I tried to get what I could from people, and I didn't always give give back. I did a lot of drugs when I was younger. I've drunk a lot of alcohol in my life. Like I was extremely defiant. I was always running around and lying to my parents, and like going to crazy nightclubs at like fourteen, you know, age 14, 15. Um, you know, sleeping around. Did not have an awful lot of self worth. You may look at me and go oh, Kim's just had this really perfect life. Like, I really did not have a perfect life. You know, my my parents divorced at a very young age, um, you know, which was quite traumatic. Um, I'm not going to go into the details, but I just want to tell you that I have not had a perfect life. I was definitely not a person who had a lot of pers- any personal honesty, and certainly not a lot of external honesty. It's something I've had to learn, something I've had to build over the years. But building it and transforming my life and and really building this inner word has, has been absolutely transformational. And it's the only reason why, I have an incredible amount of success in my life now, both in in personally, in my body, physically, and also in business. And and it's literally just showing up for myself when I say that I will and believing my inner word has been the one single transformational thing I've done for myself. And it's the reason why I'm disciplined. Motivation will get you going. Discipline will keep you going. Develop discipline. But before you develop discipline, you have to develop your inner honesty and your inner word because without it, you have absolutely... Absolutely nothing. Well, how was that? Did you enjoy it? Oh, I just loved hearing all of the different bits again, because you know what? People say to me, they think I'm a bit weird, right? I actually listen to my own podcast every week. And the reason why I listen to my own podcast is uh, not because, like, I just love the sound of my own voice, but because I love to listen to my podcast to see how my stories flowed. I love to see how I put everything together. Did I say M too much? I know that I say, you know, a lot. I realize I'm like, oh, stop saying, you know, I say, you know, all the time. So and sometimes my stories go a little off and then I forget to bring them back I'm like oh Kim you told that story and that really was not relevant you should have just stayed on point so I love to listen to my story I love to listen to my podcast as a listener so that I can improve and improve and improve and improve every week because that is how you get better by watching yourself listening to yourself you know as one of your customers that is how you improve every single day in everything that you do so I hope that you enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed listening to it and that just sounds a little bit weird that I enjoyed listening to my own podcast but you know what if you can't be your biggest fan then whose fan can you be? So. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I will catch you next week for another episode of the Strong and Sculpted podcast. Have a wonderful week wherever you are or whatever you are doing. And I will speak to you very, very, very soon. Big kiss from me to you.
1: Bye-bye.